Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello listeners and thanks for joining me for another podcast episode. It's that time of year again, raises are banished, Movember is in full swing and the discussion of men's health is in the spotlight. This week's podcast guest, Brendan Marr, is responsible for overseeing Movember's global suite of mental health and suicide prevention programs and investments. His key focus is on ensuring the charity's work in prevention and early intervention is able to reach and engage more men in priority populations, including fathers, young men, indigenous men, and men experiencing social isolation. Joining the organization in May 2019, Brendan leads a passionate program team located across Melbourne, Toronto, London, and Los Angeles. Brendan is also a board member and former CEO of Are You OK, an Australian organization most well known for Are You OK Day, a national day of action committed to encouraging and equipping everyone to regularly and meaningfully Ask the question, are you okay? With almost 12 years experience across Lifeline Australia, are you okay and Movember, Brendan is a passionate advocate for suicide prevention. His contribution to the sector was recognized in 2019 with Suicide Prevention Australia's Life Award for Excellence in the Leadership category. On this week's podcast, Brendan joins me to talk about how he became involved with mental health and suicide prevention, his transition from the corporate sector to non-for-profits, and insight into his many roles, including Movember and the challenges arising from COVID. Hey, Brendan, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having us. Mate, it's a pleasure. Tell us about, uh, mate, you grew up in Canberra and you went to uni in Canberra. What was life like growing up there in in the capital? Mate, look, I love Canberra. Canberra gets a, uh, a bit of a bad rap. Um, although, uh, given that my, my current role with Movember, we're, we're based in, in Melbourne predominantly. Um, it's been interesting hearing my Melbourne colleagues tell me over the last few months that I'm lucky to live in Canberra, said no one ever, <laughs> or before COVID. Mate, Canberra's a great life. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I've been really lucky. I've got a big family. I've got seven sisters and five brothers. Um, family of 12. And yeah, well, 13 kids, 13 and, kids. and then mum and dad. So, yeah, life was busy uh, growing up in Canberra, and um, but yeah, it was a yeah, it was a good life. It was it's it's a nice place to to, to bring a family up, and yeah, I like it. Big, I, big I, country I'm, I'm town. Big, it is a big country town. Yeah, everyone everyone sort of knows each other, and yeah. uh, you know, there's there's plenty of work down here, uh, generally speaking, and um, yeah, it's just a little bit quieter than the than the hustle and bustle of some of the bigger cities in Australia. And mate, most of your brothers and sisters are they still around there, or they've most of them have sort of left? Um, there's still quite a few around. Yeah, I've got okay. I've got uh, some three of my sisters live up in in Sydney. I've got another sister in in Melbourne, 
and I've got a brother living over in, in Western Australia in Perth. So, but the rest of us are, are still Canberra in, in the south of Canberra. I mean, imagine Christmas Day at the Mars place. I mean, that'd be uh, a big cracker with all the family coming around. Mate, it's nuts. It's probably <laughs> the only way to describe it. <laughs> Like, um, yeah, complete madness. But there's lots of you know, there's there's a million nieces and nephews, and um, it's it's always a big affair every every couple of years. Good on you, mate. And and I hear you're, uh, um, mate. You keep physical. You love uh, walking, walking up the Mount Taylor, uh, the hill there in in Canberra. I heard you don't mind a walk or two up that. Uh, and and a big supporter of the Vikings rugby club. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, well, you got the you got the first bit right. Um, certainly about, about walking up the hill, but yeah, you got the rugby club wrong. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm a Royals uh, rugby uh, former player and bleeding blue, mate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> blue and white, not red and white uh, for me. But yeah, rugby's been a, a big part of my life, and uh, obviously, the body started to give in a few years ago. I'm 43 now, um, and the injuries and the recovery was taking too long, and uh, in my previous role as as CEO of AUIK, I remember rocking up to the ABC studios in in Sydney for a morning breakfast interview with a shiner from playing rugby on the on the Saturday before, and it just wasn't a great look. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of thought, you know, it's probably time to to hang those boots up and and do something a little bit less physical. Which um, yeah, walking and hiking has been a big part of uh, of it's a big part of my life in terms of getting out and. Clearing the head and yeah. uh, getting amongst nature. Yeah, good on you, mate. And, and the uh, mate, you finished uni in two thousand uh, ninety eight. Sorry, and you started with Lifeline in about two thousand and eight. For ten years in there, you spent some time in Dublin and with Sue Communications. But tell us, what made you want to go into the mental health space with Lifeline initially? Is it something you've always been passionate about, or tell me how that came about? Yeah, Sam, it's a. I didn't actually. I wouldn't have said that that stepping into the mental health and suicide prevention space was was a passion or a calling at that particular time. When I when I got out of out of uni, I was I was fortunate enough to spend quite a few years working for a a full service ad agency, which was eventually called Zoo. And I spent quite a bit of time there. Um, I spent the first three years of my um, formative career as a graduate there. Then I disappeared and, and lived in in Ireland for for a year as a kind of a mid twenties uh, working holiday, and then I came back to to, to Zoo Communications where I spent uh, from about two thousand and two to two thousand and seven, um, and ultimately in a senior brand strategy role. And in the last twelve months, twelve to eighteen months of my role with Zoo, I was fortunate enough to to work with Lifeline, Lifeline Australia on on rebranding and a national rebranding and comms project that kind of was really interesting. It, it, it gave me an opportunity to meet um, a whole bunch of really interesting people. Lifeline was quite a complex structure. So you've, you've got the national office, which um, pays the kind of national phone bill and looks after the, 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 the telephone crisis support infrastructure. And then you've got 60 locations around Australia that um, manage the, the calls to Lifeline at a kind of a community level. So, um, working with Lifeline to rebrand them was quite a was quite a job. And and at the end of it, the, the CEO at the time, uh, Dawn O'Neill, invited me over to to join the the Lifeline team. We worked really well together. And I really liked I liked Dawn, and I liked the leadership team there. Um, 
I didn't know anything really about mental health and suicide prevention other than what I'd learned in in engaging with Lifeline. But yeah, yeah initially she got me into set up a cannabis information helpline out of uh, out of the centre in Gordon, which was right. kind of my my foot into the organisation. I had no idea about setting up helplines. I had to deal with telcos and builders and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Mate, but I managed one. to fumble my way through it, and um, yeah, ultimately that evolved into a a national fundraising role with Lifeline and then uh, eventually a general manager role looking after partnerships, fundraising, government relations, media, marketing, um, and quite a large team and part of the, the senior leadership team of the, of the organization. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was an incredible experience. Um, I think my aha moment, Sam, in terms of, of really aligning with mental health and suicide prevention as a cause was probably um, there was a Senate inquiry into suicide in Australia in, I think it was 2008 or 2009. Yes. And as part of that, Lifeline received many, many submissions from people around Australia who had been impacted directly uh, by suicide. And it was a really profoundly, um, it was a profound moment in, in reading every single one of those submissions and just realising the gravity of this particular challenge as a, as a major public health challenge. And um, I, I can still vividly remember many of those submissions. And mm. when you're working with an organisation like Lifeline that was taking, you know, 1,800 calls from Australians but not getting to everyone, yeah, um, you started to realise pretty quickly that, you know, we need to be able to to provide opportunities for people to be heard, be listened to in their moment of need. Yeah. And, yeah, that kind of propelled me towards really understanding that, you know, in, in reframing and restructuring Lifeline, which was probably the last piece of work that I was involved in there, which was very emotionally taxing and and ultimately the end was probably why I left because I felt that um, we'd, we'd been part of a pretty big change piece and in trying yeah. to make sure that we were getting to those percentages of, of calls that, that Lifeline wasn't able to answer because demand was outstripping our capability. Um, is that yeah, what you so, would say is the biggest challenge that you had at Lifeline is just trying to restructure and make sure calls are getting answered? Yeah, because, I mean, Lifeline in as its structure, with there were 42 kind of regional management boards um, and I guess... With such a large stakeholder group, um, there's a range of di different interests and, you know, an extraordinary bunch of people. I, I loved, you know, for the most part, I loved every minute of my time at Lifeline. But trying to, to get everyone moving in, in the same direction and, yeah. you know, when you've got a finite number of resources and, you know, you have to start looking at areas that perhaps aren't performing as well, uh, you know, some, some, some centres might have been costing, you know, X amount, you know, in, in real dollars to answer a call, whereas another centre was doing it a lot more efficiently. And you're kind of saying, well, we kind of need to move towards that efficiency model because that yeah. will help us answer all of the calls that we're getting. And uh, John Brogdon, who is the chair and was was the chair, he's, he's a great guy. He's a yeah. former um, Liberal right. leader of New South Wales Parliament. Yes, um, He was a great mentor and um, he's still there and um, he's taken that organisation to, to a place that is answering a large proportion of their calls now. I think Lifeline are taking two and a half thousand calls from Australians at the moment. Wow. So, yeah. How did you go with that transition in the not-for-profit sector? Did you find it 
uh, it's obviously really rewarding in some in some ways, but also, like you said, resources are, are very thin and can be very scarce. How, how did you go with that transition? Look, the biggest single insight for me with transitioning out of um, a corporate role in an advertising and brand agency was um, when you're representing a brand like Lifeline or Are You OK, you get treated like a human being again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when when you're in the in the sort of corporate world, you know, you're putting on the boxing gloves, you're, you're pitching all the time and, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's dog eat dog. Um, yeah. An incredible experience. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I wouldn't change a minute of it. It, it gave me a, a different operating temperature, but um, I just love the fact that, you know, you were suddenly really treated humanely again, um, not only by your colleagues, um, not that I had bad colleagues in my previous yeah. job, but it was just different. Yeah. Um, different yeah. Feel. Things move slower. Um, but, I was able to kind of accept that pretty quickly and just understand look this is the this is the way it's going to be be patient um, work within the, the the scaffolding that you've got and um, you know eventually you know you'd start to be able to influence and you know you'd sort of change, see change happening but it's not like you know the the, the corporate world where you, and in the advertising world where things would just be turned around on a you know on a nice edge um, yeah. super quickly and um, you'd have big budgets and, and all that kind of stuff there there weren't those kind of kind of budgets you had to do a lot with a little um, but they were an extraordinary bunch of people and it yeah. was very energizing to to go to an organisation like Lifeline. Excellent, mate, and and the work that you did there obviously uh, you know had a, had a good impact and probably no doubt help propel them into the next phase of what they're what they're going through or they were going through back then when you left in 2013 i believe how did the job at are you okay come about yeah well um lifeline uh decided uh, at a point in time there was a bit of a, a transition of of ceos um Dawn left, and then we had uh, Dr. Maggie Jamison, who came from New South Wales Health. She was an extraordinary woman um, and, and great leader. And, and Maggie was there during a very difficult transitional period where, where Lifeline asked ourselves a lot of questions about, you know, what the organisation was going to look like. And, and with any major change piece, it's it it really zaps you. And um, Maggie uh, was there for a couple of years and then, um, you know, after... I suppose holding a mirror up to the organisation, um, you know, it, it was a few years after Maggie got there. I'm sure she had probably planned to stay a bit longer, but she kind of was was pretty instrumental in in um, steering the ship towards some major change. And then um, Maggie took an opportunity to, to head up to, to Darwin to head up um, uh, Northern Territory Health and someone I still keep in contact with. That... Um, that started a kind of a, a pretty big restructure question. Um, and then the senior leadership team of, of Lifeline was rationalised. Um, and as part of that, I was um, offered a redundancy, um, which I took. And um, John Brogdon was really instrumental in, in helping me uh, make that decision. I often I often joke that, that John sacked me, but he did. He really, he sat down with me, he said, you know, you've been here for... Um, Five years. I've been here for eight years, eight um, years. which, which, well, not for eight years, sorry, um, six years yeah. and um, six or seven years, and and you made a great contribution. You know, if I was you, you know, I'd take the opportunity to, to take your career to the next level because um, 
that next level for you is um, an opportunity to lead an organisation, and and that's probably not going to be here. And it was it was honest advice, and um, yeah. I really respected that. So I took a redundancy. Um, I was fairly confident that I was going to get a role somewhere else pretty quickly, but I just couldn't find anything that I really liked or, or took my interest. Um, you know, Lifeline was Canberra based. Anyway, I remember being out in the backyard, and we've got a um, uh, we've got a pool out the back that you can use occasionally in camp. <laughs> and um, I was scooping some leaves out of the out of the water, and you know, uh, I remember you know explaining. Tan was you know of the my, my wife was of the um, understanding that I was out there job hunting every day, but I think it was eleven a.m. I think I'd already maybe um, taken the top off a cold beer, and you know was <laughs> taking it pretty easy, wondering what the next move was going to be. And Dawn, um, my first CEO at Lifeline, rang me and she said, um, hey, what are you up to? Have you, have you found your next move yet? I said, oh, yeah, I've got a few odds in the, in, the, in the fire, Dawn. And anyway, she said, look, I'm consulting at the moment to Are You OK to help them reframe their strategy. Um, and they're looking for a, a general manager. Um, you know, would you be interested in a move to Sydney? And it was going to be a pretty quick conversation because I, I had no interest in, in in moving to Sydney. And I, I kind of said, look, the rounds, the, the role sounds really interesting, um, but a move to Sydney is just not on the cards. You know, kids were in school, um, yeah. just just had zero interest. So I said, but I'd consider if they were interested, maybe doing a couple of days a week in Sydney and 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 the rest from Canberra. And and Dawn was of the view that that's probably not what they wanted, but she'd throw it in the mix anyway. Um, cut a long story short, uh, I was offered the role and, um, you know, I was able to work remotely from from the ACT for three days a week and I'd go up and, uh, and work with the team two days a week and I mean, ultimately did that in in for the whole six years. Um, so the, the general wow. manager role evolved very quickly into a CEO role. Um, the general manager was under a part-time CEO um, alongside one of the, Yunina um, Nern, who was uh, one of the uh, people who, who helped Gavin Larkin with the organisation when it first started. Yunina um, had twin boys and, and her circumstances changed. So, um, yeah, I moved into that role about six months afterwards and, yeah, was there for an amazing um, sort of period of six years. Mate, some of the things that you did during your time there, are you okay? I mean, is have you got uh, what? What was? Give me a highlight, or what was one of the biggest challenges? I know that you're big on the community community ambassador program, but tell us what from you. What what was some of the real big wins that you had? Yeah, look, when I got to are you okay? Um, there were four staff, and they were in a lot of ways the organisation was still grieving from from losing Gavin Larkin because Gavin passed away in 2011. So it was very tight. Um, it was like almost like a, a small family. Um, they were still packing T-shirts and merchandise into postal bags in the office. Um, it was just this organisation that was kind of just at that precipice. It was ready to, to really um, hit its straps. Um, and it just needed a little bit of, of, of sunshine and, and water and, and fertiliser. Um, the, the team were already getting it plenty of that. Um, I suppose they were so in the business, so to, to actually have a chance to kind of um, to look at it and, and tighten up a few things around um, 
leveraging the goodwill from the community. A lot of people wanted to, you know, give, uh, you know, financial support to Are You OK? But we weren't in any way a fundraising-based organisation, but we perhaps didn't have the mechanics to enable that easily. Um, so we just almost immediately um, we, we made a decision that we wanted to kind of build the brand by getting out into community. Um, and so in the lead up to our day of action, which is the second Thursday in September, which is AUOK Day, we, uh, within the, the first 12 months of, of, of being there, we, we were planning a, a national kind of roadshow. We took this big yellow bus around Australia um, for about six weeks in the lead up to AUOK Day. And, and it just got us a huge amount of um, media attention and that, that kind of um, set the platform for an opportunity to really get out and about into the corners of Australia and, and kind of um, improve our visibility in, in regional and, and remote areas. Yeah. At the same time, um, our social channels were, were starting to really, um, really grow and we had a really solid strategy of making sure that we were posting content that was, you know, kind of relevant and inspiring and always focused back to how is this going to better help me to have a conversation with someone I'm worried about? So we had lots and lots of opportunities over, over those six years and everyone knocking on our door, wanting us to run down other rabbit holes and do different things. But <clears throat> we made a really, really big decision that we were going to stay in our lane. We're going to stay focused on um, does what we do help somebody have a conversation with someone we're worried about? And um, I think that single-mindedness just enabled us to kind of be really focused on establishing who we were. And we just saw this incredible um, organic growth around, you know, financially, um, from an awareness, from an engagement perspective. We, we started to um, look at specific settings that were perhaps um, more high-risk populations. So we, we'd focus on... Um, you know, different workplaces. We'd focus on FIFO. Um, we'd focus on community sport where we had access to a whole range of, you know, young people, um, you know, um, adolescent, um, adolescent boys and girls and, um, yeah. you know, sort of going into their teens and, and early adulthood, adulthood. And, you know, kids just loved it. Um, schools got involved. Workplaces, you know, the whole workplace movement went, went bang. And, I would say that our, our number one key to Are You OK being successful was having a really what I call an open source approach. So everything that we had was um, accessible. You, we'd provide guidance on, on how to make the message work for your organisation or for your setting. And we weren't too precious about it. Like if you wanted to throw a logo on, um, on, on something, you know, within your organisation, you know, here's some some broad guidelines. Respect what we're doing, but um, you know, do what you yeah. got to do in order to get the message out. Just try and keep try and keep aligned with 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 what we're trying to achieve from a behaviour um, perspective. So I think that's that was kind of really key. Eliminate barriers to participating. Yeah. Um, crack it open and let people uh, retrofit what we had to suit you know their environment. And yeah, it was it was kind of extraordinary in the the storytelling side of things as well. Um, it was really, really, I wouldn't say it was easy, but the engagement from high-profile Australians who were willing to get behind the movement was just extraordinary because it was never a big ask. Yeah. Um, and we had a, a really good team. Um, I think there's 11 or 12 
people at AUOK now. So it's still not a big team. Yeah. Um, it's still small. But we just, um, you know, we'd bring our ambassadors into the fold. Um, you know, they come into the office and and they were just, you know, like part of the team. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that that gave us a huge amount of uh, huge amount of support. And the media were just always very kind to us and yeah. um, gave us and still continue to give us a really big run. Did you find it hard to keep the momentum during the year? Like, obviously, the big, all the hypes up for the for the main day, the RUAK day, but. Was were you really looking to say, well, how do we create events around this, and how do we drive ultimately towards that day? But how do we keep the message out there throughout the year? Was that was that one of the challenges, or it, it kind of was initially? We 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 very much wanted to become a a year year round movement, so um, we started to incorporate themes in. We'd have a theme every year for 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 Are You Okay? So every day's Are You Okay Day um, was was one theme. We We'd often get criticism from, um, which we loved. We get criticism from, you know, mental health experts saying, "Oh, it's all very well to, to ask a question, but we need to be doing it more than one day." And we like bloody oath we do. Um, too right, you heard it from, you know, from that yeah, person. Yeah. Or, um, you know, it's all very well to ask a question, but what if someone says no? Well, you know, these are the kind of things we're trying to address. In and if you actually go to our website, you'll see we've got a Tools. huge amount of resources that help yeah. you navigate the no. Um, but yeah, we we wanted to, and and part of of developing a whole range of setting based um, resources enabled us to ensure that they were relevant uh, all year round and, and not just one day a year. We just referred to Are You Okay Day as our grand final. Yeah. Um, you know, that's we're playing towards it. it. It gives us that that core focal point. But really, um, real engagement is it's not about cupcakes and balloons and you know nudge nudge wink wink. Are you okay? It's actually about trying to kind of, you know, build it into an organisational culture. The fabric. I remember Sam going to, to a bank. Um, <laughs> it was a few days before AUOK Day and my board chair rang me and he said, uh, Brendan, I won't, tell you, I won't tell you what bank it was. He said, Brendan, one of the banks have got a whole load of senior execs who, who want, want, want someone to come in and talk to them about AUOK Day. I'm like, oh, Mike, mate, I couldn't be busier. He said, mate, just just do it for us, will you? So I went in. It was in Sydney. Um, I wandered into this, um, into this, you know, really nice flash office, and and I met with a very senior banking executive um, just to talk through what I was going to talk about. And it was all very good. There would have been about thirty or forty people in in the session, and I was being live streamed to you know to other <laughs> other offices around around Australia. Anyway, this guy gets up and he he says, "Look, you know, it's great to have Brendan here. He's the CEO of AOK. He's going to talk to us about how we look after each other. You know, banking's tough at the moment. Um, we've got to do a better job. Blah blah blah." Yeah. So I got up and I presented, um, and at the end of it, it all went well. This bloke was sort of you know circling around in the back corner, and he and he found his way up to me as many many people do in community outreach. I thought, okay, I'm about this guy's about to tell me his story. But instead, he said, uh, "Brendan, that was really good. You know, got a lot out of it." He said, um, "The only problem with your presentation was the guy who introduced you, my boss, is the biggest effing head kicker in this organisation. So um, it just doesn't fly here." And it was a really wow. It was a really important insight around, you know, unless you're actually willing to embrace this authentically, don't yeah. bother. Yeah. Um, 
it's got to be more than just a box ticking exercise. And yeah. it actually enabled us to to truly understand the kind of organisations that we wanted to partner with because we, we'd have to be quite satisfied that they weren't going to be an organisation that just wanted to put this shiny movement at the front end, but when you lift the hood, it's just a shit show um, yeah. where they don't care about each other. So I often use that story yeah. um, when... Um, yeah, when, exp- when trying to describe how important it is that you have authentic leadership around you know, looking out for yeah. them. No, mate, that's a very good point. And, and I do hear there was another example at the um, at the rugby club down there uh, in at the Royals. Was it the Royals where there was a bloke that people hadn't seen before or something? Um, and tell us a little bit about that before we move on to November and what you're up to. Yeah, there's there was a. Um, there was a guy who hadn't been, you know, was quite involved, um, you know, for a long time, and and hadn't um, hadn't um, hadn't been around, and you know, we knew he wasn't doing so well, and uh, it was an offensive message from from one of the boys in the club, you know, calling him and you know, and if and this and if and that, you know, where are you, you lazy bugger? We haven't seen you for ages, you know, get your ass down here. Um, and he was telling me that, and it was probably more, you know, what, what rugby clubs are like. Yeah. It was uh, probably more offensive than that, but it was, uh, <laughs> you know, there was, um, it was affectionate because, you know, someone was reaching out to say, mate, we're missing you um, with all of the expletives around it. And he told me that, that, that at that particular moment, um, he was genuinely, you know, making some plans to, 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 to take his life. And, and that was the, the text message that plugged him back into life. So, you know, it's pretty extraordinary when you just never know. You, yeah, you've got an opportunity to 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 build some of that. You know, take the blinkers off um, culture into into a sporting club. Uh, you know, we talk about noticing things that that might indicate that someone isn't doing well. Observing. So, if someone's not turning up to training when they don't normally do, or you know, they're not taking, you know, not looking after themselves and not, not taking care of their appearance anymore, or which the backs are, you know, always very obsessed with uh, looking after, you know, how they look. Um, forwards, you can, you can let go. But, um, you know, or drinking too much or drinking more than usual, um, yeah. whatever it might be, it can be a good indicator. And for this guy, he was someone that we had around and we loved having around, um, but he hadn't been there and, and we, you know, someone reached out to him and, yeah, it was really well. important. It goes to show you just never know and there's never a bad time to reach out to people that you haven't been in touch with for a while to check on them. Um, never. But, mate, tell me about Movember. So so you went to um, you went from role the role of Are You OK, the CEO of the Are You OK, to um, the global, is it the global director of mental health and suicide? Yep, that's right. Yep. Yeah, so um, how did that come about and, and what made you want to take on the challenge of um, – well, yeah, I got to a stage about five years into Are You OK where I kind of felt like I'd, you know, brought it to a really good place. You know, financially, um, we were, you know, we had we had kind of enough in the bank to, to, to run the organisation well for a year if everything fell over. Um, awareness, all of the markers were looking really good. And I didn't want to be that person that was still there after a decade and having, you know, the, the the board tap me on the shoulder and say, mate, what are you still doing here? It was kind of like 
it's kind of like playing footy for a season too long. You yeah. know, like you win a premiership and you're getting old. Hang your boots up. Yeah. Don't go around again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, so I went and I spoke to 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 Mike Conahan, who was a board chair, and I said, "Look, I'm mate. This this will be my last day. Okay, day." Um, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, come come and talk to me afterwards." And so we we had a really really great um, campaign. We we did the conversation convoy, which was you know four branded vehicles going around Australia, and it was it was just brilliant. It, it was. Um, it was kind of my little brainchild that one, and and we executed it really, really well. And it was just we finished it in cans, and it, everything about it was just just amazing. Um, it was emotionally very taxing, um, but it was an incredible thing to do. And I spent two months on the road with that with that um, with that convoy. And anyway, at, at at the end of that, Mike said to me, um, "Look, it's our tenth year next year." Um, so, you know, you'll have to stick around for that. You can't leave, you know, a ninth. It's a big, big kind of, you know, anniversary. And I'd already set the prone in motion, you know, Tanya and, and the family, I was coming back to Canberra, you know, all of this travel and, and yeah. it was all, life was going to get somewhat back to normal. Anyway, I, I decided to go around again for another year for that for that 10 year, but made a very, very clear plan that I was going to start to, to, to work out an exit strategy after that. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and I left Are You OK? I probably hung on for, for a little bit longer than they expected. We had to, you know, we had to find a replacement CEO, and um, I left um, pretty much without anything to go to, which was, in hindsight, a really stupid thing to do because <laughs> I, I, I was so, you know, confident that I'd get something else and I'd find something that I was like, yeah, well, look, you know, give myself plenty of time, and um, and it got quite close to. To, to me leaving, but I'd started to have a conversation with Movember because their former global lead of mental health and suicide prevention was leaving, and I started to have a bit of a bit of a chat with um, with the organisation with Paul Valanti, who's the executive director of programs. I wasn't sure that I was going to get the role because uh, initially in the in the job description they wanted someone with a clinical. Um, mental health qualification, which I, I didn't have. Um, it was very upfront about, you know, I, I'm, uh, I don't have a, a clinical qualification. So if you want a clinician, um, you know, it'll be a short conversation. So, but um, that evolved, you know, ultimately into, you know, going through quite a, you know, quite a big process. It, it's a big role. Um, it's very, very different from, from Are You OK? It's um, I've got a global, um, globally dispersed team. Um, we're managing a significant portfolio of, of programs um, and we're dealing with one of the biggest challenges in the world, Sam, and that's, you know, half a million blokes killing themselves every year, um, which is a profoundly difficult challenge to get your head around. But for me, there was a chance to mobilise my skills and passion in a, in a global context and, and yeah, I, I didn't see a, a better opportunity. Um, whilst yeah. I've kind of... Um, it de-escalated me from being um, a CEO, even being part of an executive leadership team. I was okay with that because um, I've actually been able to sort of really get focused on on programs and interventions and finding things that um, work. And you know, Movember's got some real horsepower financially. So um, yeah, it's been a hectic eighteen months. Um, I spent the first six months wondering what the hell I'd done, um, but. Because the, the yeah. job was based in Melbourne, wasn't it? Melbourne based. Yep. 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 So I was commuting down there. Um, Every week. Commuting down there. 
every week wow. with uh you know with we, we, we were we were considering um a move down there um COVID happened um and everything's just sort of you know been thrown into into turmoil but yeah so the and and of course with the with the global aspect of it there's there's international travel and yeah. um now that sounds really sexy and appealing to, to a lot of people but you know um Movember's travel policy is as as far as far at the back of the plane as uh, as they can get you. So there's no, <laughs> and, and so it should be. I don't yeah. think it'd pass the uh, the pub test, but um, no. uh, you know it, 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 it's a it's a, it's a big big commitment. Um, fair bit of travel, um, dealing with uh, with global teams. So a lot of very early morning meetings and and very late at night Zoom calls. So, um, but it's an extraordinary organisation, um, and. You know, I really feel like um, I've got an opportunity here. It's, it, it, things move a bit slower. It's, it's bigger. Um, it's not as perhaps nimble. Um, you know, my, my, my decision-making, um, the ability to make really, really quick decisions and move very quickly on things compared to AUOK is different. Yeah. Uh, but again, I've accepted that and um, I don't have any regrets. I'm, you know, sort of in a really good place uh, career-wise. Mate, uh, interesting. You said you weren't a clinician earlier. I, when I first googled Brendan Maher, I saw that there was a psychology professor from Harvard University who pioneered the study of psychology and the relationship with genetics. I thought, oh, look at this. And then, as obviously that wasn't you, uh, but the further I got into it, <laughs> 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 no, mate. But it's, I mean, what a journey that you've been on. And Movember, I mean, they're doing some really good things, and and they've got such a uh, an audacious vision to, by 2030 to decrease the number of men dying uh, prematurely by 25%. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's such a – and the fact that it's now global uh, in many countries around the world, a statistic you have also on your website is one man dies by suicide every minute of every day. Yeah, and, yeah, that's – I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to get your head around, um, and that's that's where we kind of – you know, you multiply that and, and you end up at half a million guys a year. Yeah, crazy. Um, so it is. It's, uh, you know, we're, every single one of those people is someone's, you know, dad, brother, yeah. Child. colleague, mate, yeah. husband. So, you know, keeping the humanity at the centre of um, of everything we do. Like <clears throat> when, when I got to November, you're kind of looking at, you know this this vision around reaching millions and millions of, of of people and men, and you know what's really really important to me is to keep keep it very person centred. Um, whether you're developing a um, a digital mental health tool or whether you're funding um, a, a a hunting program for you know indigenous kids in the in the far north of uh, of Canada in the Arctic, um, always being mindful that um, ultimately whatever it is that we do. It'll come down to a single moment, an insight, or an intervention where um, someone will either be in the right place at the right time to have a conversation with someone, or someone will be more um, empowered, know more about themselves to know when things aren't quite right, and they'll seek support, or you know something will happen way, way, way back here that will just change the trajectory of things. And you know, yeah. um, if 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 we think about our work in prevention and early intervention which is where Movember works if you if you think about the the, the kind of the care pyramid and, and the pointy end of that care pyramid being the lifelines and the acute psychiatric care and your know, hospitalization 
we're at the bottom end of that pyramid. So if we can, through um, providing opportunities for blokes to strengthen social connections by funding the men's pie club in the north of England, for instance, as, as one small example, um, or we can give someone uh, some some training or, or information that can change or, or, or impact their thought processes or, you know, back here yeah. and it changes things. Hopefully um, men can avoid getting to that crisis point. And yeah. we're doing our job well when we're keeping people out of that pointy end yeah. um, ultimately. We don't fund services. Um, so we don't fund. We, we used to fund, we used to be the major funder of Beyond Blue in the formative years of, of Movember. Um, Movember was instrumental in, you know, kind of, um, as a key financial partner of, of Beyond Blue, as it came onto the onto the scene, and um, but now we've evolved into kind of more what we call upstream approaches uh, rather than downstream. So, yeah. uh, because that's where we think we can make the biggest difference. And the community playing a big role in that as well, uh, funding the community organisations, but also being on the ground uh, and supporting a lot of those initiatives. Oh, hundred percent. I mean. You you ask any Mobro or Mo sister um, why they're you know supporting Movember, and the large portion of them will have a you know deeply personal reason for choosing. Uh, I mean, some guys just want to do it because you know people pay attention to them. But um, often in the way that you'll see people seeking uh, support from their peers for growing a Mo or for moving for Movember or hosting an event, uh, often within that ecosystem you'll see a heap of stories um or because i know you sam i'll know why you're doing it because i'll know something about you and, and your history and I'll, I'll know what's important to you yeah so that side of things it's a great conversation starter and um as we evolve november is going to become you know a much bigger um implementer of uh of, of, of programs so you'll see Movember's brand you know much more strongly associated with some of the interventions we're doing particularly around digital mental health and okay. um, because we believe that is uh, certainly a place where we can reach lots and lots yeah. of people yeah scale uh, man that's really really cool I know that uh, we're short on time uh, but the the three focuses for Movember mental health and suicide prostate cancer testicular cancer um, the amount of funds that are being raised, the amount of people participating in Movember around the world is, it just keeps uh, compounding, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it, there's hundreds of thousands of people participating in Movember right now. Um, hundreds of thousands. And, you know, Movember has raised over a billion dollars globally to support men's health initiatives. And th this started in a pub in Fitzroy in 2003. It's like um, the start of the joke, the way that is, isn't it? <laughs> two blokes in a pub. Yeah. Two guys, Travis Scarone, Luke Slattery, sitting there in the pub. I, I mean, people embellish your story. This is my version of it. You hear, you hear different versions. But apparently, um, allegedly, <laughs> they saw a guy across the road, you know, supporting one of those big handlebar mows, and they had a bit of a laugh and a chuckle about how the humble mow had gone out of fashion. And, and wouldn't it be great if we brought it back? And here we are, uh, you know, 16, 17 years later, it's now the biggest men's health movement in the world. It, it pioneered peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. So yeah. the idea of um, sponsoring someone to run a marathon, all of that, November was a genesis of that model of uh, Is that right? fundraising. It's a shame they didn't patent it. We <laughs> won't have to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, uh, but you're starting to see some real. I like. The, I mean, the story behind it is really is so inspiring, and in what can be done, uh, and the fact that more of these initiatives, like there's a lot of community initiatives that are that are being grown and being started because of uh, some personal experiences of of suicide or mental health challenges around. But this is such a great way that it's not like it's the only one that can exist. It's. I mean, these are these are also key. These groups to Movember as well, aren't they? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, one of the one of the real, really attractive. Um, one of the things that really attracted me to Movember was its, you know, the opportunity that we had to look outside traditional health and academic settings for interventions. And we've just closed, and I'm just actually reviewing, peer reviewing. Um, we had hundreds of applications for our digital social connections challenge grant funding round that we that we rolled out globally. And what we're doing is looking for how what are people doing to to stay connected and using technology during you know during COVID and how do we how do we find some of these new ways of of, of connecting and and wrap our arms around some of the really good ideas provide some you know some seed funding and then some development funding to to make these more accessible around the globe and you're just seeing these awesome community based ideas that would normally not get very far because they don't have an evidence base and there's no academic yeah you know, rigor behind them and blah, blah, blah. But we can look at them and we can provide that and 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 back, you know, opportunities that are, you know, perhaps wouldn't see the light of day otherwise that come out of community. Really good ideas. And you might look at the person who's presenting it and they might be average presenters and they might, might be, but you, you see the genesis of a really good idea and you think, well, we can get right around that person and we can bring this thing to life. And and that's what I really love. I love that those kind of game-changing opportunities because that's what AUIK was. Yeah. That, that's exactly what where Gavin was in 2008 when I remember he came and saw us at Lifeline and the sector sort of sat there and thought, you know, who's this bloke? Yeah. What would he know about this? Um, where's the evidence? Uh, Gavin didn't need evidence. The evidence to, to drive him was in his heart because he'd lost his old man to suicide and, yeah. and he had the means and he had the passion and he had the capability to, 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 to get it done and, and look at it now. Mate, such a good initiative. I've just got two questions left. You might have already answered one, but uh, what, what are you heading into the future? What's uh, exciting you most? Mate, look... Sam, I think it's going to be a really bumpy road out of this pandemic. Um, you know, it really does worry me. Um, I don't often speak publicly around, you know, catastrophizing um, things or, or saying we, we, we've got a, um, a mental health epidemic or anything like that. But I think it's going to be really tough. Um, you know, we're already seeing we're kind of in the moment now and, and at different different levels across the world. And I, I just don't think we're going to quite understand the true impacts of this for a while. So yeah. uh, moving forward, I, I really hope that Movember can be, you know, a few blocks ahead on this road, removing a few of the obstacles and, and making it easier for, for blokes to navigate, you know, some of the challenges that, you know, the world's going to throw at us. And COVID lens aside, Life still happens to us, you know. We we're still not very good at managing relationship breakdown, for instance. Um, there's there's very little in 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 terms of um, programs or education around, you know, how do I prepare myself for, you know, what is inevitably. Most of us at some stage will have, you know, we'll get our hearts broken. Um, 
a lot of us don't know how to deal with it. And um, blokes in particular, if you if you look at Lifeline's call stats, and we, we know that relationship breakdown for young men is a significant contributor to, you know, to suicide. Um, so they're areas that we can, you know, kind of do more in. Um, job loss and, and insecurity and worries about the future, they're all the things that we're going to be facing um, at some level moving forward. Who knows? We might bounce back in Australia. Uh, we, Australia might, Australia is very lucky at the moment. Um, mm. other, other markets where we operate, not so lucky. And, and the UK and Ireland and Canada and the USA are just as important to me as, as Australia. Um, so, yeah. you know, we, we've just got to kind of find what, 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 what's working. Um, we call it nail it and scale it and, and, and see whether we can take some of those interventions into other areas and, and get better outcomes for blokes. One of the things I like about that is it's not a matter of finding the golden key. I mean, you guys are always looking for solutions, seeing what works, and then trying to put more money and resources behind what works. Uh, And so will you continue to do that in the future with Movember and look to help establish programs or fund programs that are obviously going to be helping to benefit that? Yeah, Sam, absolutely. Look, you know, one of the the big... Um, observations and, and experiences I've had since joining Movember is there's a perception that we're just um, that we've got heaps of money, deep pockets, and therefore um, I'm sure we're on every board paper. Have you spoken to Movember? Go and see them. Um, so I get I get smashed every day on LinkedIn and and other places. And part of me wants to talk to every single person who reaches out to me because you never know when you're going to miss that. Um, yeah that that idea or, or, or intervention. You can't do that physically. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, but I'm always mindful. I, I went to a conference a few years ago and I used to I'll talk to I talked to my team about this and I well, I used to talk to the AUIK team about it. There was this um, professor who he was one of the earliest speakers in the conference and he was talking about how I think it was in the UK um, it was Tylenol, one of those one of those drugs moved from a um, a bottle uh, with a screw tap full of, full of tablets to a blister pack where you push the tablets out. Oh yeah. And the unintended consequence of that packaging change was a notable reduction in in female suicide because of the extra time that it bought to push those tablets out rather than to just. Um, consume a large quantity of tablets very, very quickly. And it was really profound, not so much that, but what he said at the end was, so I'm saying to all of you people working in suicide prevention, where's our next blister pack intervention? And that's what we're looking for, right? We're, 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 we have to, we've got to keep our eyes and our ears open. And when we see something that is is promising, we've got to jump on it. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to look at it you've got to be you've got to be careful you've got to be considerate you've got to be responsible when you're stewarding donor funds but you know we've got to be ready to you know to, to, to back something that really does you know show positive results in, in with respect yeah. to keeping guys on this planet so that's kind of what um, yeah. you know where that's what drives me um, you know you get bogged down in the day-to-day stuff and you know sometimes you wish you had more time to stick your head up and look down the road yeah uh, particularly during campaign forget it you know <laughs> we're just we're just in, the, in this and you know I, Sam I love doing I love having opportunities to um, to talk about this I don't often talk about myself um, and I, it's not it's not something I I think there's better things to talk about than than, than me but it's um it's been it's always been good to kind of 
you, you don't often get a chance to reflect on on the whys until you're actually asked the question. Um, yeah. So, well, mate, you certainly uh, you're certainly a leader uh, out there doing the stuff and. Um, I mean, I can't thank you for what you've done already, but also as someone who's clearly following uh, a passion and are clearly driven by a purpose, a clear purpose and what they're after. And mate, I, I wish you all the best with what you're doing. Is there anything lastly you want to say uh, before we round out the, the call? No, no, Sam. Uh, we're, we're, oh, when's this going to air? Uh, mate, probably tomorrow. <laughs> probably tomorrow oh, we'll, we'll put it up. So it'll, yeah, it'll be really, really fresh. Mate, it'd be remiss of me not to say that uh, it's not too late to get involved in Movember. Um, any mole saver, bro, even a um, even a late one. <laughs> so. mate, five weeks I've been trying to get a head start and I'm still trying to get that shadow, but mate, it's coming along. <laughs> mate, you can see this ginger thing. There's, there's, there's <laughs> mums and their, their kids crossing the road to avoid me at the moment. <laughs> so <it's- laughs> uh, but it works, doesn't it? I mean, it creates because you're like, oh, I didn't know you're growing a mo, but then all of a sudden, no, no, it's for me. You know, and that's that's the conversation starter. So I think, mate, the idea, the concept is genius, really. Oh, mate, it's that's the the, the simplicity of it. it. It's the ultimate. Uh, I, I remember when I was looking after fundraising at, at Lifeline, you just looked at Movember with with nothing but um, admiration and jealousy, because they had it. You know, they just jumped onto something just so incredibly simple that um, has universal appeal. And what an outcome. Um, you know, it, it, it's just incredible. So, yeah, it's... Um, Mate, it's a great cause and I know you're probably busy during Movember uh, trying to get to everything and and, uh, and do as much as you can. It's, it's grand final month for you guys at the moment. So we appreciate your time and, mate, uh, keep up the great work. No worries, Sam. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.